Good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here, and really excited about our New Year series. How many times have you uh, had somebody at the store say, have a blessed day? Uh, we probably all had that. You know, Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, what's often called the Beatitudes, just the first nine verses. He says, blessed are those, and then fill in the blank. You know, the blessed, the word blessed has a lot of meanings. It can mean kind of the idea of fortunate or happy. And so imagine if you could have more than a blessed day. What if you could have a blessed year, right? Or even a blessed life. And so we're really excited about this new New Year series where we're going to unpack the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes that we hope will encourage you to walk in the blessings of the Lord. I um, I don't know about you. I'm an aggressive sneezer. Um, so uh, when I sneeze, it's it's pretty violent, actually. Have you ever been around, around someone that's like a gentle, kind sneezer where when they sneeze, uh, you actually feel blessed by them. Like they sneeze, like that's so sweet, thank you, you know. And uh, like that. I'm the opposite, and sneezes sneak up on me. Okay, so like I can be in a meeting, and out of nowhere, I'll be like, <gasps> then I start the whole process, and people are like, you okay? And I'm like, I'm about to sneeze. Hold on, okay. And so my wife, you know, she's like, why you gotta be so loud when you sneeze? And I'm like, honey, I feel like if I hold it in, I'm gonna blow out the back of my head, you know. So I don't know. That feels very dangerous. But uh, when we sneeze, um. What do, there's always someone in the room that will say what? God bless you, right? And it got me to thinking, right, as we're doing a series called Bless, like, why do we do that? Like, what a weird thing to say after you sneeze. You know, sneeze, God bless you. You didn't blow out the back of your head. You know, great, great news. But uh, I, so I did some research. It means I Googled it. And, uh, you know, if you Google it, there's all kinds of stuff. Like, there's all kinds of, but one of the ideas was that during the, the bubonic plague in the 14th century, People were getting sick. One of the symptoms of sickness was sneezing. And so there was this blessing of health, right, that God would bless you, protect you from getting sick, right? Gesundheit actually means health, right? And so uh, that's kind of where at least this one article I read said this is where God bless you came from. But it got me to thinking as well, like we're starting a new year. Um, I really can't think of anything that would be better for all of us in this room than for 2023 to be a God-blessed year, right? I mean, what really could be better than living under the umbrella of the blessing of Almighty God? And so we're going to do a four-week series, and I call this the greatest sermon ever preached. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he starts with what we commonly call the Beatitudes, and and the Beatitudes are really Jesus saying, you'll be blessed if, you know, and he fills in the blank. And, and, and so really Christ gives us how we can live in such a way in 2023 that you will indeed be blessed. And so who doesn't want to know that? All right, somebody raised their hand like, I could tap out now, but you're not going to. Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 is where Jesus starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, uh, before I unpack the actual verse, which I'll get to in a minute, let me talk a little bit about the Beatitudes. The word blessed, scripturally, literally means happy, fortunate, or blissful. So you could actually substitute the word happy, right? And who doesn't want to start their 2023 that way? Who, who isn't? striving for happiness, right? Our deck as we declared our independence as a country, right? What's the Declaration of Independence say? Because we're created in the image of God, all people have the right to do what? Life, liberty, and 
pursuit of happiness. And so that's what our culture, deep in its roots, I really believe this, deep in our roots, we're pursuing as a culture happiness. You know, recent studies show that we're one of the least happiest nations on the planet. It's pretty fascinating if you ever Google that, what, 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 what culture considers them happy. And I think it's because we have, the, we have defined it our own way, right? The happiness is to be rich, whatever that number is, right? It's a moving target for every person. Successful or glamorous or beautiful or strong or aggressive or or popular, or famous. These, these are words that I think dominate our culture for, man, that's how I'm going to pursue happiness. There's a couple new words that are making their way into the culture. You, you're, you know, you're, you're happy if you're an influencer, right? You're happy if, here's a new one to me, right? You're happy if you're a thought leader. Who doesn't want to be a thought leader? Like, I want to be a thought leader. How do you do that, right? But we, we define happiness with things that are so far out of our control. And they're so temporary and they're, they're so fleeting that it does make you pause. If Jesus is doing some teaching and he says, hey, happy, you'll be happy if, doesn't it make you sit up and go, I should probably pay attention if I'm living in one of the least happy nations in the world, and at the root of our Declaration of Independence is our right to pursue happiness. Maybe we should stop and see what Jesus says on the issue. Amen? Right? So the kind of blessing that Jesus talks about is not circumstantial and it's not temporary. It's, it's rooted in something much, much deeper. And really, it's a, I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses the word joy, right? That, that the blessingness that Jesus talks about is really a blessing of joy. It's not circumstantial. Paul talks about joy in Philippians chapter 4. How many of y'all know Philippians 4.13, right? You probably do. I can do what? All things through Christ who gives us strength, right? And what we've done in our culture is we've imported a new meaning into the word all things, right? So so every athlete quotes this, right? Man, we're going to win tonight. How do you know you're going to win? Because I can do what? All things through... Christ who gives me strength. Maybe the Seahawks should have quoted this verse last night. It might have helped them. I don't know. but right. I'm going to start a business, and it's going to be successful. How do you know it's going to be successful? Well, because the Bible says so. Because what? I can do all things through Christ. Who gives... No, what Paul's actually talking about is the word contentment. Right? He's defining the all things is that we can be content in all things, no matter the outward circumstances, because Christ gives me strength. Check this out, Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Okay, so there's something deeper to the blessing that the Lord Jesus is talking about. It's not circumstantial. It's not whether you have a lot of stuff or don't have a lot of stuff, whether you have a lot of influence or don't have a lot of influence, right? Secondly, or letter D here in my notes, Jesus' teaching is progressive. In other words, his teaching, you're going to see this in the coming weeks. So if you happen to miss a week, you're on vacation or whatever, like tune in, go online, get the message because they build. Jesus' teaching builds on each other. What we're going to look at first is blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit leads to mourning, which leads to meekness, which leads to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's really the next two weeks. You're going to see this build of how we build a life of happiness or blessedness according to the scripture. So all that's an introduction. Here we go. Let's dive in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So number two, let's unpack the idea of being poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's literally, letter A, the idea of spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritual bankruptcy. I don't think Jesus here is talking about material poverty, by the way. A lot of people have taken it that way, right? There's been monks, desert monks that said, hey, we're going to, Jesus told us to be poor, we're going to give up everything and go out and be in the desert, you know, and worship the Lord all day, every day in the desert. There's people that have done that, okay? I don't think Jesus is talking about material poverty. By the way, I hear this misquoted all the time, all the time. People come to me, Pastor, doesn't the Bible say the love of money is the root of all evil? Is that what the Bible says? No, the Bible says that. What I hear is, Pastor, doesn't the Bible say money is the root of all evil? And I'm like, no, the Bible doesn't say that. What does the Bible say? It's the love of us. There's a heart posture around money, right? If, if money has us and has our heart, then it's an idol and it's misplaced. I don't think the Bible's talking, I don't think Jesus here is talking about material poverty. Listen, I always say this, there's no glory in poverty. There's no glory in poverty. Poverty's hard, Okay. And uh, in fact, I, we you have a you we have sent a team to Thailand, a missions team. They're gonna they're gonna go visit this week. They're gonna visit um, the orphanage that we support. And let me tell you a little bit about this orphanage that we support in Thailand. Uh, they're uh, they're gonna this team is going to go see a trash dump, a massive massive trash dump on the north side of Thailand. That um, there are people who live right around the outskirts of this trash dump. They live in like tent, shanty-like homes. Most of them are refugees from, and I know I'm not going to say this right, the country formerly called Burma. I don't know why I can say Burma, but I can't say Myanmar. I think it's Myanmar or Myanmar. I never say it right. Um, But that is a war-torn, civil war country. And so these refugees stream across the border in Thailand. They're not citizens of Thailand. And so they go to this trash dump, and they wait for the dump trucks to come, right? I'm not lying, right? And they back up. They dump these trucks, and these people descend on this trash dump to pick out their food and try to make a living off of this trash. Some of these families think that rather than raise their children in this kind of life, it would be better to sell their children into sex trafficking where they end up in patia selling themselves as sex slaves for sometimes the rest of their life. I'm not lying, am I? I'm telling a true story. And so our orf- your orphanage, our orphanage, most of these kids are Burmese kids that you have rescued out of that kind of potential life. They're being brought up by Pastor Raylor. They're being taught the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're working hard to get them to be Thai citizens if God would be so gracious to us, right? And so you guys are doing that. Like, There's no glory in that kind of poverty, Okay, there's no glory in poverty. I don't think Jesus here is saying poverty is a good thing, material poverty. What Jesus is saying is a blessed person considers their spiritual poverty. All right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. In fact, you know, I, 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 I encourage from the pulpit as far as material wealth, like I'm encouraging you guys to build careers and build wealth. And I think American Christians especially should figure out how to limit their lifestyle so that they can be more generous with the kingdom of God. Amen? And, and use what God has given us to bless others. But it's fascinating to me that at the cornerstone of Jesus' teaching on happiness, you would think that Jesus' teaching on happiness 
would be would give us something to do. Instead, what he gives us is to contemplate something. Contemplate your spiritual bankruptcy. Now, you would think that would lead to depression. You would think, man, how discouraging. But Jesus, as the cornerstone of us living a happy, blessed life, it starts with you need to fit, you need to contemplate your own spiritual sinfulness in the presence of Almighty God. I want to suggest to you that Jesus is saying this is the cornerstone for you figuring out the rest of your life is for you to consider your spiritual bank account. Your spiritual poverty, your spiritual bankruptcy, and in that, what it leads to, letter B, is humility before God. You're not going to be humbled under the hand of Almighty God if you don't first consider the state of your soul. Because at the root of every sin is pride. The root of every sin. And the root of every sin and the root of pride is is we think we have the right to question God. You don't believe me, by the way, right? The first temptation to Eve, the serpent comes up and says what? He asks a question. Did God what? Did God say? Hey, Eve, did God really say? What is at the root of that question? The root of that question is, we think we know better than God. Hey, God, I I know better about sexuality and gender than you do. Hey, God, I know better how to use my money than you do. Hey, God, I know better how to use my time than you do. Hey, God, I know better how to organize a church than you do. Hey, God, I know better how to build roles in marriage than you do. Hey, God, I know better what a good day's work looks like than you do. And on and on it goes. And really what we're questioning is, did God really say? What we want is to worship the God that we want rather than the God who really is. Amen? And until you see your spiritual bankruptcy, and you humble yourself before Almighty God, until that happens, the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be very sweet to you. You'll use words like religious, and they're really religious. You think it's religion if you don't understand the state of your soul before Almighty God. In Isaiah chapter 6, there's a scene where the prophet Isaiah gets to glimpse into the, I guess, the temple, and he gets to, he sees the, the back end of the robe of God. So he doesn't actually see God, but he just sees the train of his robe. And he gets this glimpse into kind of the heavenly throne room, and there's the seraphim, these angelic beings, which are too awesome for words. I can't even begin to describe them to you. They're just awesome. And they're in the presence of God, and they're saying three words over and over and over. What three words are they saying? What? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole what? Earth is full of his glory. Now, I know that the argument from silence is the weakest literary argument, all right? But I do find it fascinating that the 
angels are not saying, love, love, love. I find it fascinating that they're not saying, grace, grace, grace. I find it fascinating they're not saying, mercy, mercy, mercy. I find it fascinating they're not saying, judgment, judgment, judgment. Because our God is all of those things. But when they repeat it three times, we probably should sit up and take note. By the way, what does the word holy mean? It means separate. Fascinating in this Isaiah 16, you should read it for yourself later today. The, the seraphim, the angelic beings are covering their feet and their face with their wings as they declare this. Why are the angels covering up in the presence of God? They're not sinful. They're covering up because they're the created and they're in the presence of the creator. Amen? How dare we as sinners think we can come into God's presence and redefine the word of the Lord however we want. Yet that's what we do. We're like, hey God, just bless me. Bless me, God. Just bless me while I redefine holiness and righteousness and live however I want. Bless me, God, as we come to church and we're like, hey, when is that church coastal like ever going to move off the gospel of Jesus and talk about something important like leadership? When are we going to get a good lesson on leadership? that second song, man, I was really struck by the line as we sang it. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Our perfect, sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, numbered with the sin, with the criminals. And yet somehow we worry that our name could be trampled underfoot. You know what they said about me? You believe what's in the community on my name? And man, our Savior, man, he humbled himself. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Why? So, so that we could be in right standing with the Lord. Because when we really stop and consider the state of our soul, and blessed are the poor in spirit, all the other graces of spiritual graces of God are found when we first consider the state of our soul. And the reason we don't contemplate our standing before Almighty God is because we tend to compare laterally. I tend to look at other people and go, man, I am, I've got my stuff more together than they do. And Jesus is telling us, you want to live a blessed life, don't start by comparing yourself with others. Compare your soul to Almighty God and His character. Jesus tells a story, actually, in Luke chapter 18. He tells a story, check this out. Jesus told a story, told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So in other words, he's like, he's talking to people who think they're self-righteous. They got it together in the presence of God. And they, therefore, because they believed they were self-righteous, they treated others with contempt. Verse 10. So here's the story Jesus tells. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, let me, let me set up the two characters so you understand. A Pharisee in, in the minds of Jesus here, like those were the people, they were the religious. We now know like Jesus didn't have a lot of great things to say about the Pharisees. But at the time, all the people were like, that's what you should be spiritually attaining to. 
right? Oh, that guy, he's a pastor, right? You know, one of the things that's weird about being a pastor in a community is like if I go golfing with people that don't know I'm a pastor, or they find out later I'm a pastor in the middle of a round and they hit a ball and, you know, there's an old t-shirt that says, I cuss, therefore I golf. And so anyway, like, and they'll say a cuss word and they'll get, oh man, sorry, pastor. I never heard that word before. Thank you for apologizing. So, you know, like, no, what I want to say is you don't owe me an explanation at all. I'm a nobody. So the Pharisees were the guys like, oh, man, sorry, Pharisee, man. I know you got it together. That's the one character. The second character is a tax collector. Now, let me help you understand the tax collectors. I want you to, I've used this story before, but it really, it's to help you drive home, you understand these characters. I want you to imagine, and God forbid it would ever happen, but just imagine that we went to war with China and we lost. And we became an adopted country or state of the Chinese government. And therefore, they collect collected an extreme amount of taxes from us, right? And so, and they collected it the first day of the week, and the way that they collected your, and it was lots, it was heavy, it was burdensome taxes. And so, and, and, and the way they collected is they raised up what used to be American citizens to knock on your door and take your money and send it to China. So your neighbor is now a tax collector for the Chinese government. How would you feel about that neighbor? Like, they're the worst, like, they're the traitors. That's who, Jesus is talking about a Jewish person that's collecting taxes for the Roman government. And so here's, here's who he's comparing, right? The culture thinks this is the worst of the worst. So here we go, ready? Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other tax collector. Already in the minds of the people, like, well, we know who's righteous before God and who ain't, Right? And the Pharisee, standing up, prayed this way, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, probably pointing to the tax collectors, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Ah, and then he gives his, well, all the righteous things he does. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, he's standing far off. He doesn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. He beats his breast. He says, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. We learned this in James last summer, remember? God opposes the proud, but does what? Listen, if things aren't working out in your life over and over and over, did you ever pause to consider, am I being proud? Because God... What? He opposes the proud. It's God against me. See, when we recognize our spiritual bankruptcy, it humbles us, and there's a, that is the cornerstone to the blessing of God. Let me give you a little mirror to what humility might be looking like, and i got to move through this quickly, okay? Because it's hard sometimes, like, am I a humble person? How do I know, right? Here's, here's a couple, just a quick mirror. Do you get lost in the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like week in, week out, reading your Bible, worshiping through song with other believers, opening the word of God, do you continue to look at the gospel of Jesus and be wowed that God would love you in Christ? That's humility. Do we recognize our sin? So even as a Christian, I'm in process, right? Sanctification, I'm growing and I still sin. And do I look at my sin and I grieve it and hate it? I want to get rid of this sin because I want to be more like Jesus who saved me, right? Are we complainers or do we give thanks? Do we celebrate the strengths 
and the gifts of others. You know when that person gets that vacation you've been wanting to take? Are you really able to look at them and go, man, I'm really, I'm genuinely happy for you. That's awesome. Do we spend time in prayer? Prayer's a humble thing, man. It's time consuming. It doesn't feel like you're really doing much. What am I really doing? You're showing dependence on God Almighty, right? Do we take God and his word at his terms? Do we take his word seriously and on his terms? Do we worship the God who is or the God we want? This is humility. And the result of humility is, letter D, the kingdom of God is theirs. Jesus said, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of God is there. Speaking of the kingdom of God, I don't know if you noticed this over Christmas. We were singing this really awesome song, uh, My Soul. It's, it's, uh, um, it starts out with the idea of Mary, the Virgin Mary, when she finds out she's pregnant with the Messiah. She, in Luke chapter 1, she sings an exclamation that says, My soul magnifies the Lord, right? And so we sang this, right? Remember, I'm not going to sing it because it'll hurt yours. But remember, we, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord, my soul. Remember singing that? I could bring Spencer up. It would be much more pleasing to the ears. So, all right, we're singing this. And about the third verse of that song, it, it switched to a quote of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. And it was talking about the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. And I, as we sang it each week, I was meditating on it. And let me just, I want to set up for you what I was thinking as we sang it. So first I want to read the scriptures, right? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is a very famous Christmas verse. You've probably on your Christmas card or you've sent Christmas cards with your verse because it's talking about the coming Messiah. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us his son is given, and what's it say next? And the what, church? The government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this, church. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. How long is the rule and reign and government of Christ going to go on for? Forever, right? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. So in other words, his government will be ruled with justice and righteousness for this time forth and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will we do this. So here's the deal, right? We're singing this song. We're singing about the government of Christ that the Messiah is going to bring. The government is going to increase and it's going to be without end and it's going to be peace. And my mind was going to, man, what a screwed up government we currently have. Yes? Like, and it deeply affects us. Your house price is like a roller coaster. You're working hard and you're investing and you're living a healthy life and you bought your house because you told you you were to buy a house and then it's like a roller coaster. And one month it's up this month and next month it's down here. Next month it's here and next month it's here. What's that all about? Because the government that we're under is in chaos. You're going to sit down with your financial advisor. He's like, hey, I'm expecting it to be a bad year next year. And, you know, it's going to be a bad year. Why is it going to be a bad year? Well, it's a presidential election, and that affects things. And every two years, and every two years, your 401k is going like this. Is that fun? Anybody find that fun? No. Imagine if you lived under a government that there's peace and prosperity, and it's a steady increase, and as you're working and you're doing all the right stuff, your prosperity continues to grow. How cool is that? I heard this week that, United States government's going to 
max out its credit card at $31 trillion in debt. And Janet Yellen saying, listen, um, Congress needs to do something to raise the debt ceiling. We need to do something to raise the credit card limit. How many of you have confidence that's going to work out well? Uh, like, I have zero confidence. I, every time we raise the debt limit, I'm like, what are we doing? And then the party that says maybe we shouldn't raise the debt, I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? You're, you want to put out the orphans and widows. You hate them. I'm like, all this, it just goes back and forth because there's two different views of what the government should do. The government is in chaos. We don't even know if we can trust the votes when they come in, right? And I'm not, like, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy. It's just, it's just a fact. It's all over the news. We can or we can't. Like, it's, I don't even, like, and, and so, so back to Christmas songs. All right, ready? <laughs> back to Silent Night. Okay, so, like, we're singing this song about the Messiah. My soul magnifies the Lord. We're singing a song about the government being upon his shoulders, and it'll have peace and justice and mercy and prosperity forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So we're working hard. We're trying to do things. And I'm like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Like, that government can't get here fast enough for me. And Isaiah 9 says we get to spread that kingdom. So it gets me excited about my neighbor. Invite your neighbor to church. It gets me excited about a new campus so that we can reach that community. It gets me excited about that there's more people to come to Coastal. Because, listen, I'm not just sitting there like, oh, there's other people, people. But it's only about people and the kingdom. And it's spreading in the hearts of people. And we get to be a part of that as we unite our time, talent, treasure. We get to spread the rule and reign of Christ. And yes, indeed, I am excited because his kingdom is for those who understand I am poor in spirit. And when you say I'm broken, I'm needy, and salvation we get to enter this kingdom that will be without end and without prosperity and without peace it's going to go on and on and on sign me up amen and so for those who are humble and two things man just to move quickly it's abundant life and eternal life right abundant life is hope and darkness purpose and all things joy with an eternal perspective and eternal life is that the, even the grave we just sang it death was arrested Christ arrested our greatest enemy, death, and he threw it in prison and he overcame it. The grave does not have final say over those who are a part of the kingdom of God because the resurrected Jesus Christ has conquered our final enemy and his resurrection assures our resurrection because the kingdom of God is life both abundant and eternal. And this is the life that God always intended for us to live before sin entered the world. Amen? And so you want to bless 2023? And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which leads now to the next one. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so number three, those who mourn. Spiritual poverty, when we recognize we're spiritual impoverished, it leads to spiritual mourning. Now, let me just move quickly here, okay? Spiritual mourning is not I'm a victim and now I'm in a sorry state of stuck. Spiritual mourning, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, is this. He says, for godly grief produces something. What does it produce, church? A what? It produces repentance, and this repentance then leads to something. What does it lead to? Salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief just says you're sorry and leaves you there, godly grief 
says, yes, your soul is impoverished, you're in spiritual bankruptcy, but God has done something about that. He has given his one and only son who died in your place, rose again, conquering the grave. When you turn from your sin and believe in him, you will have abundant and eternal life. And so the word there is repentance. There's a reason I'm standing this way. Repentance literally means a 180 degree turn. I'm doing things my own way, but godly mourning, spiritual mourning, my soul, poor, I'm poor in spirit. Man, I need something. And so go into mourning and the mourning says, hey, listen, God has given you something, the person work of Christ. So you need to repent, which is a 180 degree turn. And you need to follow Christ so that you will then have in you the spirit of God. Listen, the gospel of Christ lifts our head. Once we receive the gospel of Christ, we are adopted into his family. And no longer are you whatever your sin and shame tells you, whatever that word you keep telling you, like, man, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm this. All the things that the world says you need to be happy, you have now chained to yourself. But when you, that's worldly grief and you get stuck in it. And when, when you turn from your sin, you repent, you believe in Jesus, Jesus lifts your head. He says, you're no longer those things. You are now a son or a daughter, a prince or a princess of the most high God. I want you to live as I've declared you to be. Amen. Now, some of you as Christians, let her be, you're still trying to couple this sin with this blessedness or this happiness. They don't mix. Once you're a child of the most high and your head has been lifted, you walk towards holiness and righteousness. And so some of you are not experiencing the blessing of the Lord because you're still coddling your sin. Your sexual sin, your pornography, you're dating someone, but you're caught up in sexual sin. You're like, man, where's the blessing of God? Well, it's because you are not walking as a child, as a daughter, as a son of God. Your marriage isn't blessed because you're, you're flirting either on the internet or actually flirting with someone else via text or at work. Your eyes are not focused on your spouse. Men, to love your wives as Christ loved the church and women to submit to your Husband, as worship unto the Lord, not because he's worthy of it or perfect, but because God has commanded you to do it, right? You're gender confused because you've surrounded yourself with the world that says, well, you can choose what you want rather than God doesn't make any mistakes. You're the gender you are because God wants to bless you through being the gender that you are. You've not experienced the joy of generosity because you've never given freely. I could go on and on and on, right? So what does a godly mourner look like? Four things I wrote down quickly, right? A godly mourner is sensitive to sin. Not other people's sin, your own sin. As soon as we sin, we're like, oh, gosh, I hate, I hate that. I need that out of me, right? A godly mourner is quick to repent, 180 degrees, turning from sin. A godly mourner is quick to forgive because you realize how much you've been forgiven. You don't hold grudges against somebody else. How dare you hold a grudge against somebody else when you understand how messed up you are? Amen? And you're quick, this is number four, it's not on screen. You're quick to obey. You're quick to hear the word of God and walk in obedience. And the result of godly mourning, letter D, is salvation from the penalty of our sin. Salvation from sin. And the reason I say salvation from the, the word comfort is the word parakaleo. And it comes from a, it's a Greek word. It comes from, uh, uh, you'll hear a similar Greek word. For those of you who are familiar, in John chapter 14, when Jesus says he's going to ascend to the Father, 
he says, it's going to be good for me to go because I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he uses the word parakletos, right? And so it's a very similar word here. He says, when he talks about being comforted, I believe he's referencing or foreshadowing the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? So when, so salvation is this, when we repent of our sin, say, you know what, I'm a sinner, my Blessed are the poor in spirit. Man, I'm broken. I'm poor in spirit. I turn from my sin. I repent. I, but I don't just turn, but I turn to something. I turn to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But Jesus bodily rose from the grave. I turn towards the person and work of Christ. When we do that, the Bible says we get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity. It's a foreshadowing. It's a down payment of all this king, cool kingdom stuff I talked about. When our faith becomes sight, we get a deposit of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. So not only can we now live the, with the deposit of the abundant life, we can also live, no, we've got eternal life. And so there's going to come a day. Yes, one day, unless Christ returns first, we're going to die. You're going to lay this body in a grave. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our soul goes and, and goes to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's going to be awesome, but it's actually not going to be as awesome as it will be when Christ returns, and when Christ returns, we will get a glorified body that will match up with our soul, and we will live in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever 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 and ever. If you think you have a great year that year, the next year is going to be even better. And if you thought that year was great, the next year is going to be better. That is just going to go on and on and on and on and on and on and on because his kingdom will be at peace and prosperity forever. Amen, church. Blessed are those who mourn because you will be comforted by the power of the Spirit. So I'm going to land this with a thud, okay? I'm going to bring the worship team out. We're going to go out singing this morning. And as I was praying for you this week, um, I really, like, this is the most incredible group. Church, Coastal, you're the most incredible group of people, man. I mean that with from the bottom of my heart. When I think about Coastal Church, I think about the people, of course, the gospel of Jesus and all of that. But, man, you guys are just so amazing. And as I was praying for you, I thought, man, I can't, I genuinely want you to have and prayed for you to have. God blessed year. Amen. Like I I can't think of a better gift that all of us could have and experience and walk in than to have a God blessed year. Genuinely, may God bless you. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, well, God gave us the prayer. So I, want, I just want to read this morning. This is, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go out singing. Like, this is kind of my benediction for you. Benediction means blessing. Here, if we're going to have a God-blessed year, well, Jesus told us how to do that. Isn't that cool? So blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Church, may we start our year. I know it's a little weighty, but we start our year with, hey, God, I need to be poor in spirit. I need to be humble. And I need to be mourned because I trust if I mourn, it will push me to salvation. That I will indeed be comforted. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church, God. I pray that they would live under the umbrella of your blessing that they would have a God-blessed year. God, it begins with what Jesus taught us to begin with, the cornerstone. Blessed are the poor in spirit, God. May we be serious 
in considering the state of our soul before Almighty God. And may that push us to say, man, I I can't stay on this path. I, I need to change. May that change be one of repentance or sin and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, may we be a group of people that are treasurers, like we deeply treasure the gospel of Jesus. May it never grow weary to us as we talk about it and sing about it. God, may Jesus and his gospel be ever so sweet to us. that we would live under the umbrella, oh God, of your blessing. We long for, and we long for Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.